Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, we're working our way through the book of Acts, and uh, we've been covering the ground slowly because I'm Cliff Purcell, right? There's a lot to say, and <laughs> as I'm digging through these, these uh, first couple of chapters of Acts, I think we're at week number eight, and we just finished, uh, what, chapter two? <laughs> People are counting chapters and doing math and saying, come on, Cliff, Jesus is coming back before you finish the book of Acts, right? I think Jesus is okay with me still preaching from the book of Acts when he shows up. That's what I think. So we will not get in a hurry. Yeah, but um, I'm just going to let you know, we're going to play a little makeup ball today, and we're going to cover two whole chapters. Now, some of you just checked your calendars instead of your watches, because you're thinking, oh man, Cliff's going to preach for three days. Nope, it's just that chapters three and chapter, uh, chapters three and four are really just, just one story, but let me kind of put it in its setting for you, and if uh, you've been following along, if you haven't been following along, it'd probably be even more helpful for me to put it in its setting, but the, the church of Jesus Christ was born on a day in history way back there that we call the day of Pentecost. And it's, uh, it's the day in which God decided that he was going to change very significantly the nature of his relationship with human beings. He has all along said, I want to do relationship with human beings, but he has done that for much of human history by being this invisible and kind of faith-only presence. You might see some, some things that happened on earth that you might suspect were from God, but there was no proof that it was from him. Uh, a couple of thousand years ago, he said, I'm going to change from that into a, a visible presence. And he came as Jesus Christ, a, a human being who was also God and walked among human beings. If, if you were alive in the 33 years that Jesus lived in ancient Israel, you could have made your way to go see him and look him in the eye and hear what he had to say. Uh, he'd probably shake your hand, maybe give you a hug, maybe a fish sandwich. He did that for a few people. But you could be with God. On the day of Pentecost, God decided that he was going to up his game so that you could level up in your experience of relationship with him. And he said, no longer am I going to be invisible presence, no faith only kind of thing. No longer am I going to be a, a, a human being who is with or alongside you. I'm going to go better than that. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who's going to come and live in you so that your spirit, that thing that, that makes you alive, and my spirit kind of get so married and so tangled up in relationship that it is very difficult from here forward to tell where I end and you begin. God in us, that's leveled up. We just left the field of religion, right? We just left the field of mere religion and we came into something living and breathing and active and mysterious and wonderful and good. The early church, those, those first believers on that day of Pentecost, filled with God's Holy Spirit, Him now living in them, they, they kind of burst on fire as such. They, when they received His Holy Spirit, they said, we can't keep from telling people what Jesus does and what he's done for us. And so they burst out into the streets of Jerusalem during this big fe festival called Pentecost, and they begin talking about the God who will live in you and what he had done in sending his son Jesus so that all of us who, who really need some of that eyeball and, and sensory kind of thing could, could see that God is real. And 3,000 people that day said, I get it now. 
And they invited God to come and live in them. And God's Holy Spirit, sure enough, came in, married up with their spirits. And these people became a living, breathing force for God in this world. Listen to me. This is not too much of a stretch. A greater power, influence, and force than Jesus himself. Because Jesus was one. It could only be in one place at any given time. But when he took his very spirit and gave it to 3,000 people, oh, baby. Yeah, God's with you and in you and with you and in you. And this thing started to spread across the Roman Empire. But on that day, 3,000 new believers kind of blinked, looked at the leaders of the early church and said, "Uh, we're followers of Jesus now, but what do you do? As a follower of Jesus, how do you live? And so the early church committed itself to these five things. First of all, worship, which just means loving God with everything you got, with everything you've got, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your thinker, and all of your physicality. In other words, you can't just be religious inside. That's not worship. Worship is bringing everything you've got to show love for God, and that includes your physicality. It's why we say things like stand and sing and clap and kneel, and bow your heads, and because you're bringing your physicality into this thing, not just thinking some thoughts about God, right? Christians, followers of Jesus, devote themselves, we read in, in Acts chapter 2, to worship. We devote ourselves to community. There is no such thing as a relationship with just Jesus and you. That is not, the, the Bible knows nothing of the kind of Christianity that says, oh, I love Jesus, but I hate his ugly hag of a wife, the church. I don't want anything to do with all those hypocrites out there. I'll just do Jesus and me by ourselves forever. The Bible doesn't know any, anything like that kind of faith. It calls us to live in community with one another, where guess what? As we really get to know one another, we get to know one another's faults and failures, other things that make it hard to love each other. And we learn how to love each other through the hard times. And guess what? You are the perfect lesson for somebody else. All the people who make it hard for you to be a part of church, you make it hard for them to be a part of church. But by the help of the God who lives within us, we are bigger than our differences. Amen? We are bigger than our annoyances. Amen? Yes. Love is bigger than all of that. So we commit ourselves. We devote ourselves to the community of believers. We also devote ourselves to development. We think that this relationship with God is actually a relationship with God, and relationships are supposed to grow and mature. Um, How many people are glad that their marriage now isn't what it was, oh, say, week three? Mm? Laura's got a lot better husband now than she had when I was 21, I'll tell you that, yeah. Yeah, the relationship's supposed to grow and develop. How many of you um, looking at, oh, say, children of a certain age wish that your, your relationship with them would grow up a little bit? How many of you wish that the way they related toward you would mature a little bit? I'm just being honest here, right? Yeah, relationships are supposed to grow and develop. And the followers of Jesus Christ devote themselves to doing whatever it takes for the relationships to develop. We also devote ourselves to helping one another. We are a service um, community, not an organization. We are a service community. It's hardwired into who we are. Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life and reserve it for you, you won't have one. But if you give it away by serving others, you will really be living for the first time in your life. 
He said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Guess how to have more life? Reserve less of it for you. Pour it out in service to other people. You will come alive on the inside in a way that you never have before. We devote ourselves to that. It's not this thing we do once in a while to make a point. We devote ourselves to serving one another. We also devote ourselves to talking about Jesus because people aren't just going to figure it out because you're nice. They, won't, they may figure out that you have something to do with God, but they won't figure out how they can have something to do with God. They won't figure out that they can be forgiven. They won't figure out that God's Holy Spirit will actually come and live inside of them if you don't say it. And so we commit, we devote ourselves to uh, being spoken witnesses for Jesus. We live it out, show love for him and love for other people, and then given the opportunity, when it's time, we speak, we tell, we talk. We devote ourselves to these things. That's where we are in the book of Acts. When we get to chapter 3, there are some, as if we haven't already had incredible stories, there are some incredible stories. They seem like, like maybe a series of episodes. They're not. They're really just one story that runs over these next two chapters. And it's the, the story, uh, it, it mentions a couple of the apostles, right? Remember those 12 guys who followed Jesus around for three? three years, one of them betrayed him, took his own life, and then they said, oh, we don't know how to make God decisions, but we can probably make a good decision, and they just did this organizational vote thing and picked another apostle that Jesus himself had never designated, and uh, all of that, but we've got those guys, the apostles, there's 12 of them who are leading the church, but by the time we get to chapter 3 and 4, there's only two who really make an appearance, Peter and John, and John's mentioned, and then, we, but we don't have him recorded as actually saying anything, so we're just going to kind of follow Peter over these next couple of chapters, but it's Peter and John together. And, and after all this stuff has happened, this, this incredible in-gathering of, of people who are new to the faith and the, and the coming of God's Holy Spirit, they went back to normal life. And normal life for them did have religious observance because they were still a part of the Jewish faith, still practicing their Jewish faith. And living there in Jerusalem, um, three o'clock in the afternoon, if there was any way possible for you to get away from work or rest or whatever, you went to the temple to pray because there was an, a, a prayer service, an hourly prayer service there, and three o'clock was a big one. And so Peter and John are making their way there to the, to the temple for this service, uh, just like they did on a regular basis, and they saw, you know, kind of the same people coming from the same houses in the same neighborhoods like you do as you go to work each morning or as you come home each morning. Uh, they were headed into the temple, and they're seeing all the same people they usually do, but this time they noticed somebody because he was late getting there. Typically, there was a guy who was there before them. His family had brought him out there. He was, he was um, physically impaired. What caused it, we don't know, but he could not walk, and so uh, no wheelchairs in those days yet, and so he, uh, he had to be carried by his family, an adult man carried. He'd been carried for almost 40 years. And typically, they'd get there early and arrange him at the spot, you know, kind of the, the primary spot on the right corner where you, where you caught the traffic who would, who would give you money if you asked for him. But this time, as Peter and John are heading in there, the, the family's late, and they see them carrying him. And for some reason, they noticed him where they'd walked by him so many times before. And when they noticed him this time, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It says that Peter and John looked intently at this man. And he asked them for money. And they said, I don't have any, but I will give you what I've got. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Oh, he only partly obeyed. He got up. He walked about two steps and said, I, I've always watched other people jump, and that seemed like fun. And so here's this grown man. You remember how fun it was when you were a kid to just jump up and down? You know, before it started hurting when you did that? Yeah. yeah. This guy, uh, he'd never done it in his life, but it looked like fun. And it says that, that he... Uh, 
the, the original text says he held on to Peter and John, but was jumping up and down. And he just wanted to go with them because he'd never been in the temple before either because a guy with that in, infirmity, um, they, they, the community believed that he'd been judged by God and was unworthy to be in God's presence. He never got to go in and see what happened on the inside where people worshiped God and God sometimes revealed himself to people. So he holds on to them and he jumps up and down and he follows them into the temple. Surprise, surprise, a lot of people notice right? And so they come rushing out there, and Peter gets bold. I mean, if you thought he was bold in looking at a guy and saying, I can heal you right now, he gets bold with all these people coming out. Remember, these are the people who just a few weeks before had said, crucify Jesus, crucify him, and then showed up and watched him literally be tortured to death. That crowd comes out, and Peter looks at him, and he says, you remember that guy you killed a few weeks ago? That's how this guy was healed. Don't look at us like we're gods. It was that guy. That guy that you turned over to the authorities. That guy that you betrayed. That guy that you wanted nothing to do with. He has made this man whole. People blinked their eyes. They listened. They were absolutely amazed at the message. Jesus says, yeah, that guy... He was the Messiah. That's a kind of a Hebrew code word for the grand fixer that God sent to untangle this whole mess that we live in. For him to start making the world right by making us right on the inside so we can join him in the business of repairing this world of ours. As they're, uh, as they're proclaiming the message, the people are listening. And he's just about to get to the point where he's bringing it home, the the decision-making moment where these people too can come to believe in Jesus and invite his spirit to live in their hearts. The authorities, the religious people, and the government people show up and they say, no, 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 no. You are not supposed to be bringing up this Jesus guy. We got rid of him once. Knock it off. And in fact, they took him into custody, arrested him, and took him into custody. Now get this, get this. God's Holy Spirit had been on the scene. He did not protect the apostles. He didn't keep them from getting arrested. And in the middle of the sermon, when they get cut off and hauled to jail, God the Holy Spirit stayed on the scene, kept doing what he was doing, and about 2,000 more people that day without the preacher finishing got the point and got the Holy Spirit. God was on the move. These guys get hauled to jail. The next day, they get interrogated. Now remember, going to jail... Um, there, there wasn't an established legal code like ours where you were guaranteed a fair hearing within a certain amount of time and, and some opportunity maybe for you to be bailed out. There, there wasn't any of that. You got thrown in prison. It may be the end of you. Standing in front of the people who interrogated them, they came back to the Jesus message with boldness. They looked at the people who had, uh, I mean, yeah, there'd been all these, this, this common bum rush of Jesus, but you know, the decision makers had a lot to do with this. And uh, Peter and John look at them and they said, we know it was you. And Jesus is the Messiah. No matter what you say, he really is. No matter how you try to regulate him, no matter how much you try to silence us, God's Holy Spirit now lives in us, and we're going to tell the Jesus story. They got bold while they were being interrogated in jail. If you read uh, into Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. See, I was just this uh, poor dumb redneck kid. 
raised on a farm in southern Missouri, um, just common dust of the earth kind of family. I was a a statistic in the making because my parents divorced when I was a little kid, and that subjects you at all kinds of risks. But I love this verse because this verse says that kids like me and people like you, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, are a force for him in this world. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, I love it. It says these members of the council, okay, the, remember the, the important government and religious people? They held both those offices. They've got these guys in jail. They're interrogating them. The two guys are going bold for Jesus because they're filled with his Holy Spirit. They've got an opportunity. They had an opportunity the day before, took it. Now they have an opportunity before the, the, their, their jailers. They go for it. Listen to this. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were, and here's, here's the Greek for you, okay? Here's, here's where my seminary education pays off right now. It says that they took note that these two knuckleheads were agrammatai iriotoi. Agramma, letter, unlettered, idiotai. It means what you think it means. These are uneducated idiots. These are the village idiots. These are the guys that when you listen to them talk, you go, he's not very smart. I'm saying that the educational system in Galilee, look, Idaho, we're 48th or something like that. They were behind us. These are the village idiots and the people who were refined and had been afforded all of the education and all of those things. They realized that these are those those knuckle-draggers from up north. These are the hillbillies that were with that guy we don't want to mention. It says, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. They didn't have anything on their own that should make them bold. You're not bold when you're stupid or you shouldn't be. Don't be bold about your stupidity. Listen, if you're stupid today, get less bold, okay, about you. But you can be stupid and have a Holy Spirit boldness about something that is bigger than you and your personality and your background and your circumstances and your family and the statistics. When God's Holy Spirit marries up with your spirit, man, there is something in you that is bigger than societal expectations and societal limits and prejudices and class structure. These guys were idiots that had been with Jesus, and because of it, there was a fire and a confidence from within them that made them look at the authorities they had hidden from a few weeks before and said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and um, let's not pretend about who's the captive here. Powerful, powerful, beautiful they took note, these guys had been with Jesus. And when, and when they couldn't win the argument, when they couldn't beat God's Holy Spirit, here's what they did. They just kind of leaned forward and they looked at the apostles and they said, okay, conversation over. This comes down to threats now. You shut your mouths or we will eliminate you and your family. Threats. Threat. Feel that. Threats. Have you ever felt threatened? Have you ever been in a position where you thought, it, my life may end now? You ever, you ever um, 
been in a city and had, uh, you know, an interaction with someone that this is verging on violence. We don't know how this is going to go. Have you ever been in, in a, a near-miss auto accident where, oh, it, it, and in that last, there's a moment where you think, uh-oh, it's unavoidable. Yeah, we've all been in threatening kind of situations. It's altogether different when somebody is on purpose with the ability to carry out the threat. It says, you listen to me. You shut your mouth. One more peep. We take out you and your kids. Every one of us would have a, a decision to make and some real questions that we would answer about ourselves. The response was they threatened the disciples. Then they released them. Now get this. The disciples, the apostles, they, they go back to the other believers, to the other disciples. I want you to read with me. We're in Acts chapter 4, we're at verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them that the le- what the leading priests and elders had said. What had they said? Shut your mouths or you're dead men. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the other believers, all the other believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, that's an Old Testament passage. In fact, this happened here in this very city. That's what the believers are saying. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. Listen, all those people that he just mentioned, they'd never been united in anything. But they united against Jesus your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, listen, not protection, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this, the meeting, after this prayer, the meeting place shook And they were all filled with God's Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So here's the story. Holy Spirit comes, boldness, explosion of preaching and of believing. 3,000 believers come in. They go to their everyday life of committing themselves, devoting themselves to those five things that really form them together as the people of God. And with that growing mass of people and the infilling of God's Holy Spirit, there was some boldness on the part of everybody who then spoke about Jesus. They get uh, these guys healing people and preaching boldly and arrested and answering their jailers boldly, taking the threats, released, and what happens to them? They go back to the other believers and their boldness kind of bled off. Because the text said, what did they talk to them about? They, They told the other believers, they threatened us. Mama and the kids. All of you. And the indication here is that the apostles got a little, a little frightened, a little unsure, a little weak in the knees. 
You want to know? Here's another reason why we commit ourselves, devote ourselves to community. Because when the leader's knees were weak, all the believers that said around them said, we're going to pray for you. And here's what they prayed for. Not, Lord, protect the apostles. Not, Lord, hide us. Not, Lord, spare us. They said, give us more boldness. We've lost ours. Give us more boldness to go out there in your name because we see what happens when we go in your name and in your power and we've run out of power, ours. Now feel this. Feel what God did when the leaders came weak and the people responded in community and and in faith and they prayed for great boldness. The day of Pentecost thing happened again. It says the whole place where they met started shaking. The power of God came in a a, a visible, experiential kind of thing. And these people, one more time, filled with God's Holy Spirit, boom, out of the room and boldly started talking about Jesus and what he can do for everyone who dares to believe this incredible story. Apparently, Boldness is an on-again, off-again thing for us humans. Have you experienced that? You know, last week when I preached the message that I re-preached in the introduction today, that we devote ourselves to a number of things, at the end of the service I said, uh, how many of you are having a conversation uh, today with God about you? You haven't been devoted to worship, but you're going to, and a handful of you raised your hands. How many of you uh, haven't really committed to this community? You've just kind of come and sampled and taken from it, but not really devoted yourself to it? How many of you uh, struggling with, you, you really haven't been intentional about developing your faith, and some of you raised your hands, and how many of you have said, uh, serve, I don't want to, why do I always have to, why do they always ask me to work? Why do they always ask me to do things? You struggled with that, but today you're having a conversation with God about devoting yourself to that, and some of you raised your hands. But all of those hands that went up in all those four categories together didn't add up to the number of hands that came up when I next asked the question, how many of you today are having a conversation with God in which you're admitting, I have not boldly spoken about you, but I know you're calling me to it, and I will. My heart moved when I saw how many people said, I've been struggling, but I'm making a commitment to God. And we did this not with eyes bowed or heads closed. We were looking each other in the eye, looking around this room. I wonder how many of you who raised your hand last week, between last Sunday and today, lost your boldness. Listen to me now. Listen. If you lost your boldness, don't be ashamed. If you lost your boldness, don't think it means that you're not a true Christian. If you lost your boldness in the last seven days, don't think for a moment that God is disappointed with you. God knows your weakness. God knows the intent of your heart, but he also knows that he made you out of dust. You have your limits, and you will reach your limits many, many times in this life. The people who walked with Jesus, listen, these guys had literally experienced every miracle Jesus had ever worked. They ate the fish sandwiches when he fed the 5,000, and they each took their little lunchbox home with them because the miracle said 12 boxes left over. They were in the boat when Jesus walked across the water to them. One of them got out of the boat and walked on the water too. Who? The guy doing all the talking. 
They were there when he literally took control of the elements of this world and made wind and weather stop. They'd been on the scene when he resurrected people from the dead, and they had been on the scene when the resurrected Jesus walked through the wall into the room with them and said, you, if, if you don't think it's me, come stick your hand in here. Check it, it's me. They were there on the shore when he fed them breakfast after he said, you guys don't know how to fish? Fish on the other side of the boat, and it was their biggest catch ever. These apostles had witnessed all of these things. After Jesus had been gone, over these intervening days, they were the ones who got it filled with the Holy Spirit. They were the ones who spoke in these languages they'd never learned. These were the guys who looked at the beggar and said, dude, you can walk now. Come to church with us. These guys lost their boldness. And therefore, God gave up on them and sent them to hell, right? No. No. What happened is, when they got weak in the knees, God already knew it was going to happen. And so he had arranged a community of believers to gather around him, love him, support him, and say, well, um, if you ran out of boldness, your boldness originally came from the Holy Spirit. Let's go ask him for some more. And they received the Holy Spirit and boldness. If God was disappointed, he'd have said, all right, forget you guys. I'll get some people who will get it this time. Friend, if you lost your boldness between last week and now, God isn't surprised, God isn't disappointed, God isn't mad, God isn't any of those things, except still in love with you and willing to give himself in totality to you and restore to you what you can't scrape up on your own, boldness to talk about him. I know it's probably hard to imagine because you guys have only known me when I was like this. But I'd finished a degree in religion, an undergraduate degree in religion, and was uh, working through my master's and, and was trying to find a way to answer God's call into pastoral ministry and not have to, to tell unbelievers about Jesus because I was scared. I'm not kidding at all. I was scared to death to talk to people about Jesus. I was trying to see if there were any jobs in the church that had the title pastor where all you did was teach Christian people who already said yes to Jesus, teach them about the Bible. There shouldn't be a job like that. I was looking for one because I had no boldness. But I surrendered that to Jesus, my fear. And I asked him to give me something I couldn't come up with on my own. And he has done it. And so I can stand before you on Sundays, yeah, because you guys all, all nod your heads like you, like you agree and believe. But I'm telling you, if you invite me to lunch with your family and friends, I'll talk to them about Jesus as comfortably as I do about you. And it's not because of my personality. It's because what God has done in spite of my personality. It's, it's a boldness that has come from him. He's done great things for me. And still sometimes I'm, I don't, I'm not sure and I... But his Holy Spirit, when I ask for boldness, restores it to me. And he will do that for you. How? How? Is it just a prayer? Well, it, it, prayer and then light show for them, that was pretty incredible. But I want to tell you in the just two minutes that I'm going to take from here forward. How it is that you can live a life 
in which, I'm not going to promise you that there's something you can do where you will always be bold and never, never suffer any lack of that. That's just a lie. You're a human. But I want to talk to you about a way to live that will put you so in touch with God's Holy Spirit that when your boldness bleeds off, you can know that it will be restored. And you can experience that and then by his power become his, his real agent in sharing the good news of the gospel with your friends, family, co-workers, and schoolmates and classmates. Um, I know this is the, the first part of this is just going to sound like, oh boy, another preacher thing. But listen, if you want to be a person who knows how to access boldness from God, you got to get to know God very well. And the only way that I know to do that is for you to daily take time to spend with him. If I am the only time each week that you hear from God or about God, listen, I promise to starve you to death slowly and painfully. I and this sermon are never going to be enough for you to know the Lord well. And I'm not coming to your house to preach six other days a week. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's where I was going Waiting for one of those. Uh, let's see of those. Um, well, just for that. Um, it takes you spending time with the Lord daily. Number two, pray for boldness, not just courage. Let me, let me tell you, there's a difference between those two things. Because here's what courage is. Courage is acting uh, forthrightly even when you're afraid. Okay? Courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Courage means I do what needs to be done even though I'm afraid. And courageous, uh, courage makes for heroes, right? Listen, we, we don't really need heroes. Jesus is our hero. He's the hero of the Christian community. Don't, don't ask God to help you do things that you're afraid to do. Ask him to change the way that... Ask him to change... The amount that you trust him. Because if, he, if you really come to trust him, and you believe that he will actually do the things that he said he would do, like show up with you, like put the words in your mouth, fear can go away. We don't need a bunch of people out there who are scared to death but doing it. We need people who are asking God, would you please give me a boldness? Boldness is of heart, it's not of mouth. It'll come right out your mouth, but boldness is what happens in your heart when he changes the way that you relate to the uh, rejection of men. It, 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 he changes your heart in the way that you relate to the, to the threats of men. And there is something that is far better than courage. It is boldness. And God doesn't want to go partway there with you. He wants to do in each of you what he has done in these men that we read about, these men and women in the earliest days of the church. He wants to so change your heart. He wants you to become so aware of his presence within you that, uh, oh, so Jay wants to argue with me today. Jay might get mad if I talk about Jesus. Big stinking deal. Big stinking deal. He wants to change the way that I trust him, the amount that I trust him, and the way that I relate to the rejection of men, and he can do it. Don't pray for courage. Pray for boldness. He answers the prayer of every person who asks for boldness. And let me ask you a question. Here's the real question today. Do you
Do you really want to be bold? See, because he doesn't play games. Just say in the words when really you're hoping that he won't because you would like to continue to not be his witness. You just want want to be saved from your sins. You want the heaven stuff. You want some help with this life. But you really aren't intending to be his witness. Listen, don't monkey with God. He He doesn't play those games. And so if today you really don't want to be bold, don't pray the prayer. But if today there's something happening in your heart. God's Holy Spirit is in there talking to you and and creating in you a desire to to trust him more and, and to care less about the rejection of human beings because you care about them and their salvation more than the look on their face and the tone in their voice. If that's really happening in your heart today, then ask him for boldness and he will give it. But you have to decide whether you really want to be a bold witness for Jesus. If you haven't made up your minds yet, God isn't going to answer that prayer. He answers sincere prayers. I think it was the last Sunday of last year, Pastor Bill preached. It was a sermon I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, part of it anyway. You told us to live so close to God that we that we are able to hear and understand the promptings of God's Holy Spirit. I think, I think that's, the, that's the real business of being his witness. I daily live so close to him that he and I have a conversation in which I come to recognize and, uh, his voice and when he's speaking to me. And, and here's what he'll do. He'll create a boldness for you and opportunities. Doesn't do you any good to be bold when there's no, no one to talk to, huh? doesn't do you any good to be bold when the person in front of you isn't in a place where they can hear it. See, if you ask for courage, you'll go around afraid and trying to force things because God's given you courage. Boldness is you trusting him and not worrying so much about the rejection, but also so in touch with his Holy Spirit that you recognize when there's an opportunity and when there's not. He really does this for you. There are times when I'm raring to go, but I know this person can't hear, and the Holy Spirit just... And other times when he says, okay, okay, can you see it? They're ready. And I get to say those words about what Jesus has done for me and he'll do it for you. I wonder if you could stretch with me today and uh, pray for both boldness and opportunities. If, if no additional people beyond those who responded last week, if just those people who prayed last week will pray for boldness today, and opportunities. God's Holy Spirit is going to give them to you in this next week, I'm telling you. And you will be amazed what happens when you and the Holy Spirit, who's married up with your spirit, click. And that instead of a, a courage, a, a, an action in the face of fear, you now have a desire to speak of Jesus and his love to someone. If your boldness bled away in the last week, or if you've never had any, but you decide today, I want it, he'll give it. So I'd invite you to pray with me, Lord. I have no idea why you picked people to be your messengers. Why spoken witness? It just seems like if you just came and did some clear demonstration of your power and of your godhood to everybody, they'd jump on board and get it. You wouldn't have to worry about people like me who sometimes get afraid and sometimes get disinterested, dispassionate. 
sometimes doubt and worry and sometimes think that the rejection of men is going to be the end of me. I don't know why you picked such an unreliable plan. But you picked us. And we are picking you back. Holy Spirit, hear the prayers of every person today who is asking for you to come and live in them. Honor it. Do for them what you've done for those of us who've already prayed that prayer. But like the apostles, there are some today who know your Holy Spirit lives in their hearts, but their boldness has gone away. But they want to be used by you. They have devoted themselves to being your witnesses. Can't do it without you, Spirit. Don't even want to try. Would you come and restore or create in us for the first time a boldness that becomes an explosive power in this world? We ask in your holy name. Amen.